Hello, welcome or welcome back to Photo Slut. I am Laura Lamb Mallet. I am a photographic artist, educator and full-time photo slut. Record and then see how we go. Great. There. Uh, this is literally the only bit that I'm nervous for. Maybe don't if you want if you want to do if you want to do that separately when you've got a couple of takes you can. But I feel like it might give you a little bit of a pep talk. I mean, I already know all of that. Well, you don't. Do I not? Well, you didn't know before. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Michael Swan is a photographic artist based in Bristol. Oh, so you do say Bristol. I do say that. Yeah. Okay. He's recently completed an MA, recently, question mark. That is subjective. 2020. Yeah. yeah. That's recent compared to well, other events. 1950. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, completed an MA in photography at the University of the West of England. UWE Bristol is in brackets. Is that the second time I reference Bristol? Yeah. I mean, it'll be, there'll be three in the whole... Uh, there will be. In the whole bio. Michael's latest body of work, An Ascension, explores themes of hope, love, queerness, and the influence of Catholicism through his engagement to his same-sex partner. His previous body of work, Noema, yeah. pronunciation check, correct, follows the search for the presence of the Virgin Mary in two locations in which she has reportedly been seen. Not recently. Um. Yeah, some of them are recently, if you okay. take my definition of recently into account. <laughs> Michael is also currently working on a collaborative project, Compost, with Bristol-based photographer Philip Kleber, that explores the central themes of queer ecology. Yes. And can you say some awards and recognition that you've had recently? Um. Yeah, that's that's the one thing that <laughs> I can I can check you here. So Photo Lux is a big one recently. Yeah, yeah. So I won the Photo Lux and Target Award for my new project um, last year, which was. An ascension. Incredible. But also an ascension, yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, that was the most recent mm. recent big thing. Yeah. Um big thing. Big thing. I think being um one of uh BJP's ones to watch in twenty twenty. Yeah. Um I'm playing bingo here while I'm looking at which ones you're gonna mention. Okay. And then also being selected for the futures photography. Yes. Which both happened in twenty twenty, but I think I, they stand out A because they're they're really big achievements for me. Yeah. Um but also because like with the Photo Lux Award, it felt like one of the first recognitions for a body of work that I'd done. And so it was kind mm. of the most exciting in a way. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing that I got was the um, shortlist for Krakow Photo Month, which, uh, yeah, was the first in, of any kind of recognition that I had mm. for Noema. Noema. And was definitely the one that I had the, the most kind of excitement over. Yeah. Noema deserves ASMR. Noema. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're on live with Noema. Noema Airwaves. No way about airwaves. I like that. Are you going to set up a rival podcast? I don't know, but um, when I was in Sicily, which... Uh, With Photo was... Lux? No, so this was um, when me and Kevin, my partner, went to Sicily, which is where we got engaged. Yes. And where, um, no, I guess, an ascension started. Yeah. Um, there is a bar in Cefalu, which is the the only part of Sicily that we could really actually enjoy spending some time, called Noema. Spelled exactly the same way. 
we were just sat at this this restaurant oh, having lunch and, and I looked down the road and there it was this like neon sign saying no emo and I was what like, were you having for lunch I don't know it was probably you pizza. don't remember I don't remember actually and I should because it was pretty much the only good Italian meal we got to enjoy that holiday yeah. because you were going through it though we were going through it because that we arrived a day before Italy announced it was going into lockdown mm. Mm. and so everything shut down yeah I can't imagine Italy without the sort of hustle and bustle of well eating and drinking and yeah. everybody in the streets yeah and, you know. I mean Chafalu as well is um when we were telling people that we were going there beforehand, because that was one of the places that we actually stopped and stayed. Sheffaloo, I like that name. Yeah, it's it's a nice That's name. A it's a really nice town, actually. But I think we really liked it because there was no one there. <laughs> Normally, it's really touristy. Oh, okay, yeah. So we were quite lucky, I guess. My dad always made us go to places where there were no tourists. And I remember yeah. somewhere in Italy. I, I want to say Luca, but Luca's really touristy. Well, that's where yeah, the photo looks yeah, 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 yeah. And we had a we sat in this restaurant, and I don't remember what I ordered, but I know that what what came to the table was not what I ordered. Right. And my dad ordered rabbit, and it was a whole rabbit, like eyeballs rabbit. Oh my god! It is worth mentioning that there is a rabbit in the room. Currently, when I'm saying this, and I don't want her to start nipping at your ankles because I can see her shivering. She's worried. She's shaking. <laughs> Um, but yeah, okay. So I suppose we should sort of talk about this. Isn't just a chat that there, there's a reason why we're here, which is <laughs> don't give me it's the done. eyes <laughs> with your deep voice, your husky <laughs> voice. Um, which is that obviously I would like to talk not so much about a brief history of your life and your work, but I suppose that in a roundabout way through. I asked you to bring some things. To the table. Yes. Do you um, think it's worth sort of explaining the three things that we're going to talk about? Yeah. Or, sure. or just giving a rundown of them. And then I have a feeling that they'll naturally move into each other. Yeah. But just so we can give an overview of where it's going to go. Sure. Just in case people want to turn off and not listen. Yeah. So you'll get like the, the, yeah. the three minute intro. Yeah. I don't want them to think we're going to talk about like uh, Steve McCurry in National Geographic. No, we're definitely not. <laughs> um, Plot twist. <laughs> so the first one was the supporting booklet to the double disc edition of <gasps> Mulholland Drive. Double disc. Um, specifically on the back page, there's a list of 10 questions or clues mm -hmm. that David Lynch gives to the film mm -hmm. um and my my talking point are those 10 questions yeah and um, the second thing is the online forum for um the band the mars volta known as the comatorium that. okay i'm really glad you said that because i've been saying comatorium uh, yeah it's I, all about grammar i don't know it could be it could be either i oh. i was thinking comatorium for coma yeah isn't there an album as well yeah so it's called Delast in the comatorium that's it yeah yeah um i have done my research but i mean the mars volta are a band that are known for just making up words so okay okay so the coma slash comatorium yeah the comatorium and the third one was rupaul's drag race rupaul's drag race yeah yeah great i i, I love this the selection it's random it is. It is random, but it's but, great. But actually, it, for me, it it all it all makes mm. sense. And that and that's exactly what I want to do. And that's what I want to talk about because, you know, 
I think I've said this to loads of people in passing about, you know, like, what's the elevator pitch? What's your podcast about? And I want to just sort of climb inside people's minds. Yeah. Consensually. Well, well you have consent. Thank you. Um, and, you know, where better to, to start than with you? Thank you. Which I think is really interesting <laughs> as well, because, like, we've spoken. Do you think it would be fair for me to say that you were my lockdown husband? Oh, yeah. 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 Because we made questionably. We made walks that would take 20 minutes, last an hour and a half. And we had like very in-depth conversations, which I believe to be fundamental to my thinking. And, you know, my style and I think your style as well is we're not we're not trigger happy and we sort of mull on things and things are quite personal to us. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, a sponge for other people's thoughts and inspirations. I'm not copycat, but, you know. Um, also, I thought it would, it's a great day to record because my Flow app, that's that's not an advert, by the way, I'm just saying, um, told me that today I might find myself in an apathetic mood. Okay. So. There we go. And we're back. And we're back. Where do we leave off? Uh, being um, locked down, husband and wife. Yes, that's it. Yeah. And we used to go to Aldi and stuff like we that. We did. And once we even went to B&Q. Only once. Oh, yeah, yeah we did. Yeah. yeah. And I took you to B&M. I lost, you lost your B&M virginity. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you like it? I loved it. Yeah. Good. Not been back since. Okay. But... <laughs> it's funny. I, I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, I think we had like really intense conversations. Yeah. But what I quite like is the things that you're bringing to the table, bar drag race, mm-hmm. is not really something that we've spoken about in in detail before. No. And I think that you know there's something, yeah, really interesting when you think you know somebody in their practice really well because you know it's worth saying you know we studied together. I know yeah. we had this whole full time part time divide, um, but. <laughs> We studied together and there aren't many people whose work I know as in depth as yours. Yeah. But there are still things that come out of the woodwork that are, you know, fundamental to your practice that I don't know about. Yeah. And probably vice versa. Yeah. And that's super interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that um we we all kind of have those like things that have have led us to where we are now. Yeah. Like these things that I'm talking about are things that like <coughs> I think you're allergic to your things. I think you should come with new <laughs> things. Maybe I need like a lemsip or something. I thought you were going to say lollipop. No, my throat's getting drier. I think it's nice. It's real world stuff, you know. This is like, uh, what's his name? Ross Kemp. This is wrong. <laughs> Ross Kemp on photography. You know? Ross Kemp on photography. This is field work. Can't make it through a sentence. Exactly. If you come to photo slut for something, it's authenticity. Yeah. Right? This is a flower. Some ball. form of, of bodily... There's got to be a bodily... <laughs> Expo- expulsion. <laughs> If it isn't one, it's the other. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody's together. Yeah, and there's there's something about like all these little things that happen that probably seem insignificant to everyone else, but to you, they lead you through your kind of creative development. Mm. Like the mm. the things that I'm talking about, maybe less so drag race, but definitely the the comatorium and and the um, Mulholland Drive are things that I look back to as significant like milestones mm. in my creative history 
When did Marathon Drive come out? Come out? Um, 2001, I think. Oh, so... Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Same um, Same with the first... I think the first Mars Volta came out, uh, album came out around that time as well. Big year for you. It, yeah. I was 11. <laughs> still obsessed with steps. But little oh did I know God. that these pieces were all falling into place <laughs> around me. <laughs> oh, my God. What was your favourite steps song? I loved... I mean, obviously, there's tragedy. There was mm, blue. Mm. They had a lot of good, good hits, you know. I don't think any of their songs and any songs at the time had such a profound effect on me, more so than it's the way you make me feel. Oh yeah. You know, and then like in the sort of it was like Bridgerton before Bridgerton. Yeah. It's the way that you make me feel. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe me and Luke will have that as our first dance. I think you should. It sounds. It sounds like. I don't think he would know what that is. I don't think he'll know what's happening. Mulholland Drive. Should we take a drive to Mulholland Drive? Yeah, let's do it. Although maybe let's not because there's literally a car crash mm, on Mulholland Spoiler Drive. alert. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll park on the street adjacent. And remain seated mm. with seatbelts on. Do you have the app on your phone to pay for the parking? Um, No. Okay. So tell me, we're there, we've parked up, handbrakes on. Yeah. Why are we here? Well, oh no! Sorry, you reach to the glove compartment. I do, and you pull out the double disc edition. Yes, I do, and then I throw the discs away. <laughs> no, we make um, we make something outside for the scarecrows out of old okay. CDs. Yeah, and yeah. some papier mâché. Correct. Yeah. Um, and you pull out this booklet, and you say, "I've got something to show you." Yeah. Don't be alarmed. Action scene. Go. So. For anyone who has seen Mulholland Drive, as you have, I believe you watched Recently. it today. Yeah. Well, I I watched I've watched it in the sections over the last three days. Okay, which is wise. Yeah. I did make some notes about the opening scenes, and then based on the questions. No. Okay. So yeah. So okay. So I told you this earlier, but I looked at the questions. Yeah. Then I I looked at the first one or two, stopped myself. Watched half of it, yeah. had another flick at the questions, and then I looked at the questions again once I'd finished watching. Okay. Um, but no, the notes that I wrote, which I would like to read to you. I only Please wrote do, two yeah. because then I stopped making notes. One, MD dash, this is what it says. Her, I think the woman who gets out of the car at the beginning, her is walk is so Watts? funny. No, the other one. Oh, the, yeah. The brunette. Okay, yeah. Her walk is so funny. Very GTA sex worker. Yeah. That's the first thing I wrote. This is after she's been yeah. hit by like, been in in a car, car crash. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, she's walking. Yeah. And then a quote I wrote down, which I think is probably one of my favorite quotes from a film of all time. Okay. Are any of those dead kids wearing pearl earrings? <laughs> <laughs> This is what I, why I want to write a screenplay because I think I think most of my lines would be like that. Yeah. Are any of those dead kids wearing pearl earrings? <laughs> That's a typical David Lynch line. That's great. <clears throat> so the questions. Yeah. So do you remember them? Would you like me to get them out? I've got them on my phone, but okay. I won't read them all out. No. Um, We're trying to condense this into sort of fifty minutes. Yeah. But what I think, so the for the first time I watched. Mulholland Drive was when I was on my foundation course. So mm. it was about 17, 18. So you didn't watch it straight away? 
straight away from, from when, when it came out oh no 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 no, no okay. i i had no idea really about film in general until i actually did yeah, my foundation why would you course. have watched it at 11 that would be yeah, it's, it's pretty disturbing film, yeah. yeah on the foundation course i just i became really interested in we we had this, uh, quite a small library there but they had quite a big dvd collection where was your foundation sorry um my foundation was at Bourneville. Yes, that's what I wanted you to say. Yeah, so it, I don't think it exists anymore. Bourneville, Old Jamaica. Yeah. Product placement. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and it was a free foundation at the time. Um, oh, no, those days. Of, yeah, as part of um, BC, BCU, I think. I just, I remember, like, every couple of days taking out, borrowing, like, three or four films mm. and just kind of working my way through any of the films in the library that were of any interest to me that I'd heard before. Yeah. Um, that I liked the cover of. Loved that. Anything like that. Um, and Mulholland Drive was one of them. And I don't think it was this version of it, but I remember watching it and kind of liking it, but but being completely confused, as I think everyone is when they come out of watching that film for the first time. Then watching a few of his other films, like A Razorhead and Blue Velvet. A Razorhead? A Razorhead. Is that a stationary murder mystery? It is, yeah. No, <laughs> well, I guess the main character has a kind of like, his haircut is very like straight up and flat. So it almost looks a bit like a okay. pencil eraser. I think it came out in the 60s or the 70s, maybe. Okay. And that one it t- took me a, a little longer to, to kind of get get my head around. Um, but Blue Velvet's much more accessible. So I think having watched that, I became really, really interested in Mulholland Drive and how it had that that kind of cross between a really linear story for most of it mm. um, that makes sense a lot of the time, mm. <clears throat> apart from the odd sprinkled-in scene that seems to be completely against everything else that's going on, like the scene with the failed robbery. And um, there's like that thing with the... the shoots. Yeah, the shooting yeah. through the water yeah. accidentally, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also kind of drawing up the 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 way that the storyline of the two women, Betty and Rita, Rita um, the way that their story makes sense compared to the story of Adam, the director, and why they never seem to kind of overlap. Mm. Uh, no, apart apart from um, Betty does audition for the the film, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. Two things on that. Yeah. One, the main thing that I appreciated was Rita and Betty. I'm assuming it's like a callback to Rita Hayworth and yeah. Betty. Well, Rita, she gets the name from the posters. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, she, yeah. yeah. She looks and in then the Betty Davis or Betty Grapple? Grapple? Probably, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That's, what I, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, but I think it, it is because Mulholland Drive, like a lot of um, David Lynch's films or, or the kind of themes that he um, looks at in his, in his TV shows or all of his stuff... Um, is really fascinated by that, like LA, yeah, Hollywood, yeah. kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And um, I was actually reading today that at one point he was in talks to do a TV series about Marilyn Monroe, um, but they decided not to do it because he wasn't interested in like real life stories. He would rather make something fictional. Fiction. And Mulholland Drive started life as a TV show. Yeah. So the the first, I think, the first three quarters of the film are the pilot episode and then the last 45 minutes which is obviously the nightmarish chaos yeah is what was created after they realized it wasn't going to be a tv show anymore and they made it into a movie okay um so essentially having to wrap up this Mm. kind of 
long form TV series that they'd had this plan for mm. and wrap it up into a, a film. Yeah. So going back to the questions, I think when I when I ended up buying my own version, my own copy of it on DVD. Dufty. Dufty. It came with um, this booklet, which the, the majority of the booklet is just a, an extract from a book um, called Lynch on Lynch, which is like, I guess it, it was just a way of, you know, adding yeah. context to the film, but also pushing that book. Yeah. And on the back, there are these 10 questions, which for anyone who's like really familiar with David Lynch, they know that this is like... Textbook. No, completely against what oh, you would really? normally do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like I'm giving giving any so. kind of indication, especially to do with Mulholland Drive. But I think, I think there were like there were like a trio of films that he did around Mulholland Drive. So there was Lost Highway, mm. Mulholland Drive, and then Inland Empire, mm. and they all have this very kind of abstract, strange way of telling stories. Okay. And he's famous for not wanting to give any information. Do you think that's a cop out? Sorry, that sounded really aggressive, but... <laughs> no, I, I don't think it is. I think the way that he talks about creating his... Like, for example, with Mulholland Drive, the character of the cowboy... Yeah. ...came to him just out of nowhere. He just had this vision mm. of a cowboy. We've all been there. Well, yeah, we have. <laughs> but he didn't... It wasn't in some way related to the storyline that he was developing with Mulholland Drive. He just kind of had this idea and thought, I've got to follow that idea. Right. And so it became part of the story. Okay. And that's kind of how he works. So he just like, if he has this kind of vague, intuitive idea of something mm. or a vision of something or a dream. Yeah. And he feels like it makes sense within the context of whatever he project the, he's working on at the time yeah. yeah he will include it mm. and it might be that he he says that he doesn't know why he's including it mm. he just kind of follows his intuition with it so do you relate to that yeah definitely okay because i i feel like i want to be able to come out of finishing one of my one of my projects with this element of me feeling like i haven't um understood everything that's in my project yeah and i think that that's because it gives everyone else room to to add to it yeah when you said about the like follow following your intuition and yeah. like you don't know if something's right or wrong yeah there was a picture from noema that came into my mind mm -hmm. which at the time when i saw it i was like no okay but looking back on it now and sitting with it it makes sense to me okay do you think you know which one which picture that is i'm worried that you can like see it in the reflection of my wine glass i've got it up on my laptop no i can't but i if you had to guess um this podcast is actually just a series of people playing games <laughs> maybe the the bag on the tray okay it uh, is yeah sorry listeners it but is no, the bag that the that makes sense to me because very, f I mean, um, I was going to say very few of the images in the project that aren't images of people's faces mm. don't don't seem to suggest any human interaction yeah. with the landscape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily true. There are shots of like buildings and the crushed car mm. and stuff like that that um, do suggest that. But yeah. it might be because it's one of the very few color pictures. Maybe it feels staged in some way. I don't know. I remember you talking about it at the time and you spoke about the blue. 
yeah whereas the, for me for me it's the blue and the white because when i think yeah. of when i think of representations of the virgin mary blue as and far white. as yeah as far as when i grew up she was always wearing blue and white the thing about the questions yeah i'm interested that it's the 10 clues of david lynch yeah that's a really weird title yeah it is because it's not the 10 clues of david lynch it's the 10 no. clues of mulholland drive yeah one of the questions is um well it's not really a question it's more of a statement pay attention to the dress the ashtray and the coffee cup yeah and there's no real context to when when that happens in the film i remember the ashtray twice yeah and i remember the cup and i don't know if i remember the cup for the right reason yeah but I, that is one of the clues that i had read yeah before i saw a coffee cup yeah and there are two moments with a cup right one is a blue thick coffee cup which turns into a whiskey glass i think yeah and then there's another moment where she's at dinner yeah and she takes a sip from a glass a yeah. cup and the pattern on the cup says sos okay do you remember that no was i did i have some cough syrup no that's that, that sounds right and i think isn't there something in um betty or diane's flat that was an ashtray and then was something it's else? a piano yeah. There's a piano ashtray and then but it also so this is this is where they lost me. It says be be really attentive when a red lampshade appe- appears on screen. Yeah. Now twice there's a red lampshade, yeah. if I can remember. One of them during a phone call, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's an ashtray next to the phone. Yeah. And the ashtray is a sort of like um, it sort of gave me Sagrada Familia vibes, or okay. maybe Picasso vibes. Yeah. So maybe that was the wrong ashtray. But this, this is what I mean: is I, I feel like he gives these clues, but actually, a, I don't know if he intends for them to help you work out what the film's about. Mm. I think he just wants you to pay attention to certain moments that he thinks are significant. Okay. Um, but also, there's a good chance that a lot of these are just red herrings and that he's actually trying to kind of focus your attention on one thing when it actually has no significance whatsoever. I was going through these films that were films that I'd heard loads about or that um, were interesting in some way to me or kind of jumped out to me. Mm. So I felt like I was having a bit of like an education, I guess, on like film history at that time. And Mulholland Drive was the first time I saw a film that, in the, with the context of these of these questions later on, made me think about the way that you tell a story and the way that you play with or help or hinder the viewer from getting the full picture of what's going on within the film. For me, with my with my work, I think it's a lot to ask of someone, especially when you're when you're like not some kind of huge famous photographer or huge famous filmmaker or whatever. Yeah. It's a lot to ask of someone that they actually spend that amount of time with your project to the point where they want to analyze it to that level. Mm. But I agree with that because I this listen, this is controversial for the first episode. I always think people are lying when they have photo books and they're like, oh just just get it off my shelf again and again. Yeah. And I'm like, do you fuck? Yeah. No, you don't. No, I, I, I get. I do no, I, I agree because I. For Cassie Ravens, yes. Well, of course. Although that Michael Swan, no, Emma. No, because it doesn't <laughs> exist yet. No, it doesn't. I was literally thinking <laughs> that as soon as I said it. 
I've got a dummy copy. Yeah, in advance. Um, I don't look at my own books, let alone... No. Well, I, I have one. I go through phases of, of thinking, oh, I really want to look at some photography books. Yeah. But I'm not getting them down, like... Willy-nilly. No. It's not a TV guide. No. You know? No, I agree, but I... But yeah. even not even like taking it down and and putting it back and coming back to it like every other day, but even just sitting with it and spending like time thinking about it. Mm. Why should you care? Exactly, that's, that's the yeah. thing. And I like, think that yeah. you say because I was going to say I've got loads of books that I love and I will look at and look at, but you're not working for it. No, no. which is kind of then I think to myself, well, why would I ask anyone else to do that? But I think the thing that is different. Well, that I feel is different, and I'm sure all these other artists feel that it's different for themselves. Is that I, I want to have that with my own work. Yeah. So I want to be able to look at my own work and see it through the eyes of other people, mm. and see things that they see that I haven't seen. Yeah, and that's, that's why I like talking to you because you always see things that I don't see in my yeah, work. Exactly, and and I think everyone goes into mm. you. You're very everyone's guarded with their own work in mm. some way, mm. and they have this very specific idea of what each image is supposed to mean mm. because you've made it and but you've put it in for a reason. But it might just be it might just yeah. be an ashtray, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there are some pictures in Noema that I took that I took not knowing why I was taking them. Yeah, but I liked what I was taking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and music played a big part of that, which we'll probably talk about later. But um, and then those are the ones that when I show them to people, or I took them to the to the group in the MA, yeah, or I show them at portfolio reviews, mm. are the ones that people jump to. Yeah. And have reasons for jumping to them that I didn't have when I took the picture. Yeah. And I love that. I think about that with a with a picture of my, my bleeding thumb yeah. picture. The reason I took that picture was to to show Luke what happens if you leave a knife in the sink. Mm-hmm. You know? And but obviously when I took it, there was something, you know, sub not subconscious, but subliminal maybe that yeah. you know, because I'm a photographer and, and you know, contrary to popular belief, I know I had to take a photo. That I was like, ooh, that is a right bit of me. You know, yeah. there's a thumb and it's bleeding and it has a long red nail. And I'm always surprised that it, you know, it was pulled into the edit. I sort of went through my phone and was like, I wonder if I have any pictures. But yeah. of course it had a red nail because I had red nails because I like things that uh, I embody things that I like. Yeah. So because it was of myself, it was my tastes. And I think that's very, it's something that I say to students now. Yeah. But I never believed to myself. I always thought that I'm just, if I go back through my pictures and I look and I find something I like, I'm scraping the barrel. Yeah. When actually it was there all along. And with I just the projects, like it. the kind of work that you do, I think, which is quite, it's in a way really diaristic. Yeah. It, it totally makes sense that you would work that way. Mm. But I think it is something, especially with, with using photos that you've taken on your phone, mm. I look down on because that's the kind of like pop culture version of photography yeah. that everyone can do and is purely functional. Yeah. When you go to um, art school or photography university or you know, whatever and you study, mm. you're learning how to use film and you're expected to use this you know version of photography that's um 
that's a a practice and a and a a craft. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, no I saw idea. a documentary and it was about Green Day. Okay. And that the the bloke filmed their Boulevard of Broken Dreams video on film. Yeah. And then took the film reel and just like ash cigarettes on it and like burnt holes in it. Yeah. And I remember seeing it and thinking. But how the hell does he know what that's going to look like? Yeah. And I, I was young. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, Green Day are fine, whatever. That's going to upset some people. <laughs> Green Day are great. But it wasn't that. It was just the fact that you could take something that in my mind was so precious. Yeah. And there was one reel of film. Maybe yeah. there was loads. I don't know. Yeah. And just trust yourself. Yeah. Through this sort of like you know barbarian process, and make but also you... it, I think there's an element of trusting yourself, but there's also an element of like just letting fuck it. Yeah, yeah. Because I know that um, I remember reading an interview with Ryan McGinley once, and he talked about how you know all the images that he had when he when he was like first mm-hmm. coming out, and it was like these kind of kids running through the landscape, and they had these like bursts of color across them that looked mm. really like Photoshop filters. Very me. But that was him popping the back of the camera open yeah. halfway through a roll every so often. Like just popping it open and shutting it straight away. Mm. So it was like a flash of natural light that was that was hitting the lens. I love that. And I started experimenting with the same thing because, mm. you know, I love... Come on. At 17, you're just going to copy. Lomo, come on, yeah, let's, exactly. let's go for it. And We've all Googled expired film on eBay. And yeah, yeah, and bought it. Of course. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was. it's just like completely giving yourself up to this, like... Yeah, there might be one image on there that is completely destroyed, mm. but it adds an extra layer. And with his kind of whole, you know, these kind of beautiful people running in sunny landscapes, it's all mm. very nostalgic and, you, need and, you know, summerish. Of... Yeah, you need yeah. that little thing that differentiates and adds yeah. that kind of, like, um, perfume advert. That Lynchian yeah. dystopia. I thought I had to get those buzzwords yeah. in at some point. <laughs> Yeah, so I think what what interests me so much about, or what what I felt I took from these questions, um, is this idea of like so one one of the questions that he also asks, for example, is at Club Silencio something is felt. The viewer realizes something. The clues come together. But what is it? And that doesn't tell you anything because Absolutely any, anyone nothing. who's seen that film knows that that is the pivotal scene in the middle where everything changes. Mm. It goes from being a semi, semi understandable linear narrative mm. to complete head fuckery. Is this when we're talking about the the band isn't real? Yeah, and the it's blue an the blue key, uh, the blue key. Yeah, and yeah, that kind of theatre space. Yeah, that, yeah, that's Club Silencio. Um. And so all he's doing really is saying, yeah, look at that scene, what happens? And... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Can I read you something that I've just seen? Yeah. That he authored a short book describing his creative process. Have mm-hmm. you got this book? No. Okay. Um, and he talks about transcend... Transcendental meditation. Correct. Yeah. And the book's called Catching the Big Fish, Meditation, Consciousness and Creativity. Yeah. I feel like I might be getting this for your birthday. Great, yeah. Great. So he describes the metaphor behind the title to the introduction. Mm-hmm. Ideas are like fish. If you want to catch a little fish, you can stay in the shallow water. But if you want to catch a big fish, you've got to go deeper. 
Down deep, the fish are more powerful and more pure. They're huge and abstract, and they're very beautiful. Yeah. But he taught, he, like... I kind of put him and he's like the film equivalent of Bjork to music for me because wow. Bjork talks in exactly the same way about her mm. music and she uses her hands in the same way and it's all very kind of like floaty and like conceptual and big ideas and mm. for anyone who's not a fan of either of those people it could all sound like complete bullshit. I wouldn't say I'm a fan a big fan of either of them not that I'm not I'm not not a fan yeah but I know them and I know what they're all about. Yeah. But I love hearing you talk about it. Yeah. Well, both of those people are, to me, like absolute geniuses. And I think because of that, everything that they say, well, not everything, because that seems a little bit childish, but like... You're I, in it for the long I, haul. Yeah. And I understand mm. the way that he talks about stuff can sound really like, uh, well, whatever, That's that's just like white noise yeah but when you look at the way that he pieces things together i think he's 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 almost kind of like he knows that what he's saying sounds a little bit pretentious pretentious and he doesn't really care and i think he's kind of maybe playing with people a little bit yeah i think it's something i hear from students a lot about worried about being pretentious yeah and i think if you have the self-awareness of being pretentious you're probably not going to be. And also, when you say like, people think I'm potential. People will think who's people. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Who's the, the is, people? You kind of can't avoid. There's definitely a line. Yeah. Like there was, there was, um, there was the tweet that the white pube posted today. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw which that. I saw, which I really loved. I really hope they hear this because I really want them to come on the podcast. Well, we'll we'll send it to them. I want to get puby with them. So this is, um, I don't know if I'll be able to find it now. It's on Dan's story. Is it? It was While about... you find it, I can talk about um, Dan uh, fumbling the bag, trying to get into Silencio oh, yeah. in Paris <laughs> by dropping his lens I cap. really wish I'd been there. I wasn't there because me and Luke oh, were yeah, having a domestic. Um, but from what I hear, it was great. God, we need to try and get in there because yeah, that would do. literally be my dream. Yeah, so the White Pew posted, the problem with most art criticism is it is written by clever people who have read a lot. Critics should be sillier, cleverish. I want to read criticism written by some guy, some random guy. Who is he? We don't know. And yeah, I agree with that to some extent. Is that why you've decided to come on Photo Slot? Yes. No, but, um, but I think... No, but I think that's it because that's exactly why I'm doing this. Yeah. Because... I don't want to hear bollocks by boring yeah, people exactly. who do and speak in a way that is so obviously alienating to people yeah. who, you know, art is clever, but it's not that clever. And also, I feel like talking in that way when you talk about art, if it is intentionally done to to either alienate or to try and kind of I feel sometimes it's used to almost try and outdo other people or kind mm. of it's all about the person who's speaking rather than the, what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say now. Oh, that segue for a break? Maybe, yeah. Can you give us an outro for the break? Because I, I might put in like a fake ad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, shall we? Shall That'll we? Be fun. Do you want to do an ad? Yeah, shall we do an ad? Okay. And now a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Noé Web Airways. 
this radio in town. Drone all day, every day. I learnt the choreography to Natural by Esquip 7. And there was one bit um, in particular where they like, um, they kind of like are all on the floor. And I, that was my favourite bit. I used to love it. Because it was during the bridge, I think. And oh. I used to love that bit. I used to love I Never Had a Dream Come True. Because it yeah. was like the Christmas one. Yeah. yeah. That was Joe's song, I think. Natural was Rachel's. Joe pre Big yeah, well, we don't talk about We don't that. talk about yeah. Joe anymore. Somebody the other day described a, a bloke who was very handsome in my mind. Yeah. Um, and said that he looked like the mum in We Need to Talk About Kevin, played by Tilda, Tilda Swinton, Swinton. <laughs> but specifically in that film. Oh, yeah. And I thought, what a strange thing to be. That is strange. Yeah. Weird. Very weird. Talking of music and music that you love. Yes. The Mars Volta. Yeah. But we're not talking about the Mars Volta. We're talking about... But actually, thinking about the, what we were talking about with David Lynch, that, that it does kind of... There is, like, a similarity there. So, Omar... Omar and Cedric are the two lead, kind of, people within the Omar Mars Omar Rodriguez Lopez and yeah. Cedric Bixler-Zavala. Bixler-Zavala. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Mel Paso, think... Texas, I need to say that. Yeah, they are, yeah. Um I think they're, they're, they're like heritage is from Puerto Rico. But, mm. Yeah. And they're the only two consistent members of the band. So they, mm. they formed the band in, I think, like 2001, something Correct. like that. Um, and they're the only two members that have stayed throughout it. But that kind of makes sense because they write all the music. Mm. So with the, the album that I um, said, if, you, if you're going to start listening to them, to listen to this one, mostly because it's my favorite, um, Francis the Mute. Which I did listen to, yeah. even though I referred to it earlier today as Francis Bean. So apparently during that um, during that project, apart from Cedric stuff, which is the vocals and the, um, the lyrics, Omar made sure that every other musician couldn't hear what every other musician was playing on each song. So they, they recorded it in isolation. And so, for example, I don't think the drummer and the bassist could hear what they were, what each other were doing on these songs. Okay. Don't think that they could hear what the guitarist was doing or what the keys were doing or any of this kind of stuff. It was all in Omar's head, and so he was like the director of this of the situation, and he was kind of following his intuition in the same way that David Lynch does. Interesting. And so all these songs, which have these like really meandering, like I think the shortest song on there is six minutes, Mm. and the longest is half an hour. Mm. And they start in one place and end in a totally different universe. Like the films of David Lynch, you kind of can't completely comprehend what's going on. You like that? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, How many members of the Red Hot Chili Peppers were in the Mars Volta? Um, or have been? Two. Yeah? Yeah, so Flea was on... Flea's been involved in like... Most of their first album, Flea was featured on. I think there's only two songs that he didn't feature on. And then John Frusciante's like featured with guitar solo. On when he's not good. absolutely off his tits. Yeah. What, no, when he is. Oh, think, when he yeah. is. <laughs> um, I think he's featured on like two or three songs across a few albums. Yeah. I don't want to make this weird, but earlier I saw a video of Flea talking about Anthony Kiedis. Yeah. And he says that the first day he met him, he came home and said to his mum that he'd met someone that like saw him for him or yeah. like he really connected with. And listen, this is not to say that my my 
friends pre you I don't fit that bill because they do <laughs> but I, I said to this to you once before that you know when we met I was that was on an emotional precipice yeah and that <laughs> that 14 hour coach journey <laughs> <laughs> you know and I and I do feel like yeah I do feel that way about you yeah. I think this is intense isn't it yeah oh wow are we on a date I have, this is the best first day I've ever had. Oh, God, <laughs> amazing. Um, but yeah, and I think if I wasn't able to talk really genuinely how I feel yeah. creatively with people, I don't think I would have the same confidence to put my work forward and also pass on that conversation to other people. Yeah. Yeah, I was listening to um, The Magic Hour, Mm-hmm. It's good to check out the competition. Yeah, you know, um, bit of market research, market research, window shopping, if you will. Um, and there was, uh, I think, one of the latest episodes with Genesis Bayaz. Mm-hmm. Pronunciation check on that. Apologies. I think it's Bayaz, but I love the name Genesis so much. Yeah. Um, and they were saying that there's this really interesting balance between having a sort of hermetic life. Yeah. And being able to collaborate and be social. And I think that definitely my inner circle of photographers mm-hmm. and artists were definitely like that. And I think yeah. I think the reason that we get on so well professionally and personally is because well, firstly because you lot can tolerate me. And also because we know the give and take. Yeah. And we we all have that those same insecurities and we also have that understanding that people need space or people need support. Yeah. And I can't imagine working in confinement. Yeah. And yeah, showing your work I think can be really really um difficult, especially if you're not used to it, because people put so much of themselves into what they create. Mm. And everyone's I think, especially at the beginning, really really worried about someone turning around and saying you're a fraud or what you've created isn't good, even if you think it is. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I've had portfolio reviews where all I've had from people is I don't get it. And... I mean, it's no secret that I waited a lot of my life to have a portfolio review with... Is there? A, have we got a bleeping noise? A censoring noise? <laughs> with beep from beep gallery. Yeah. Um... And I'd had great reviews on the same work weeks before. And the yeah. one person who I really thought would understand my work and understand me, <laughs> they were like, no, yeah. I don't get it. And I don't think you get it either. And, you know, yeah. oh, well. And it's hard to it's hard to package two years worth of thinking and research. And, mm. and pre- Into 20 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. And, and expecting them to, to get it on the same level that you do. But at the same time, like I was say- saying before, it's a lot to ask someone to spend loads of their time completely dissecting your body of work as well. Agreed. And so yeah. you've got to find that balance between getting your message across in a sufficient amount of time for them to understand everything in the way that you think. Without having to read War and Peace. Exactly, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. Um, Mars Volta. Yeah. Shall we? Let's. Okay. Tell me about the Comatorium. So the Comatorium was a forum that, um, I don't know when it started and when it ended, but um, 
Brisket. I know about it ending. Oh, yeah. When I've been end? deep diving into that. Okay. Apparently, they can't get hold of the bloke who's the admin. Right. And everybody's worried that he might not be all right. Oh. Yeah. I mean, the, the commentarium was a huge... It was actually really a really large community. Yeah. It was like the mid-2000s I was in there. I think probably from probably from like 2006 to 2009 that I used to go on. Maybe that's not exactly accurate. I can't mm. remember, but... Um, and I remember it being, it, it was a pretty large forum and I don't, I don't know who, I don't know anything about the guy who, who as of it. four months ago, yeah, they can't get hold of him and the forum has been disconnected from the server. I didn't even know it was still, still going, but I'm go. going off people from Reddit, by the way. Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, somebody's written it. Now we understand the, the, the pronunciation. The comatorium has went into a literal coma. Okay. Weird grammar there, but yeah, it was never yeah. a place of um. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, it was a big forum. So the Mars Volta were this band that were active from two thousand and one until, I think they went on hiatus probably around two thousand and thirteen, two thousand and fourteen, and then came back last year. Yeah. Um. And I joined that forum, I think, because. I I didn't really have many friends at the time who were listening to music that I was listening to. Yeah. And the Mars Volta in particular were a band that were almost like a, a kind of gateway to loads of other types of music because having listened to Francis the Mute, which I think is their most expansive mm. work, like you can you can easily go from them to anything from like jazz to salsa to ambient music to yeah. like Led Zeppelin and rock and, and anything. Mm. Um, and so it brought together all these people who had all these different avenues into the Mars Volta. Yeah. Um, and it just meant that it was this kind of huge community of people from all over the world who were coming at it from all different angles, who all agreed on this one thing. Yeah. So I kind of ended up sticking purely in the, the Mars Volta news section and the section that, that was art and music. Right. And there were threads that would basically just be people talking about new album releases or recommending artists or recommending like must listen to albums and all this kind of stuff and similarly to what I was saying about how I went through the films at my foundation course I would every single time someone recommended an an artist on that forum I would listen to them I, I see the crematorium as a place where my music interest really started Right. Before that, I was listening to, you know, S Club 7 and Steps, and I was obsessed with it. <laughs> is that not real music? It is real music, and I, I, I ended up coming back to that kind of music, because I think when I was on the crematorium, I was very much like, a pop music is all crap, and okay, yeah. I rejected it. And then I think I We've all of, been there. Yeah, I grew up and realized that you can appreciate everything. Amen. Um, but there was, yeah, there was that um that element of just wanting to completely expand beyond what was on the radio yeah because all my friends were listening to like fallout boy and and um panic at the disco and things like that and i liked that stuff too but but it it didn't it doesn't have the same (sighs) listen let's be honest you're very very intelligent and you. you you know a brain is like a racehorse it needs to be taken out and exercised Right. And I believe that 
it's great to have stuff that you enjoy. Yeah. But there's also you need to be able to engage in something on a high level. Yeah, and I think I think for me, um, and Kevin will my husband will tell you that this is because I'm a Pisces. Um <laughs> I, I have a fishtail. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm a merman. Um, no, for me, music is like, is the thing in my life. Yeah. And I I just can't get enough of it. Yeah. And I always want to find something that, that challenges what I'm used to. Mm. I felt that from a young age through my dad's love of Pink Floyd. Mm. And I was really, like, my eyes were, like, opened yeah. through them having a film yeah. and them having characters and it became more than music. And then my yeah. dad would tell me about, you know, that they were talking about politicians and like the Fletcher Memorial Home. Like I was singing that song when I was minuscule yeah. and I had absolutely no idea what I was saying. Yeah. And now I'm looking back on it and maybe there was, you know, there were whispers in my ears of, you know, which I think is the centre of my practice now, where I, I talk about real world issues, mm-hmm. been in a very fictionalised, unreal sense. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it is. I think it is the same thing. I don't know. Someone told me once that my photography was wallpaper, and I've never. I'm so reluctant now to say that anything is just that. Yeah. Does that make sense? But I think it's it's true because one of the things I was thinking about today is that music is one of the few art forms. Where you're you're allowed to just enjoy it without mm. having to analyze it. You're preaching to the choir, yeah, and I I love that. And so when I remember one of the first conversations we ever had was about how much we both love Nicki Minaj, oh. and I think that's that kind of pop culture and those 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 parts of pop music or or, or popular music are looked down on because they're seen as less than than rock music or, or any other kind of music that I has agree. more of a, you know, I don't even know what the criteria is for, for that. But Yeah, I started this podcast because I wrote my dissertation on Nicki Minaj. Yeah. And I remember the well, in my feedback, like Nicki Minaj's name was like referenced, like Minaj, N, and then yeah. all of that. And I was like, oh shit, this is real. Yeah. Like, I can do this. Yeah. It's like... I don't have to talk about Roland Barthes. Like, no. this is this is it. That to me is much more of a well-rounded vision of life because I think it's really easy. Well, it's not, it's not easy, but it's it's more common. I think when you're within an art community, that they seem to completely reject those elements of pop culture as if they don't exist. Do you know who doesn't? Who the white pube? They don't, and that's why we love them. That's why we love them. But those things do exist, and they. Mm whether you like these these figures of pop culture are unavoidable like i've mm. never seen an episode of the kardashians but i know who they are and when i see parody videos on tiktok i know who they're parodying parodying you need to watch the kardashians moz volta yeah i'm gonna just i'm gonna tell you something which i think bridges beautifully between the kardashians back to them okay which is i was telling you that i watched the nardwar interview yeah. which is where i do all my good research yeah and they had a keyboard player called Linda Good. Yeah. Do you know about Linda Good? Um, no. Was she quite an early? I think so. Member of the band. Yeah. And what I like about her, and they talk about this in the interview, yeah, is that she left the band to become, rest in peace, Lisa Marie Presley's 
pianist. Right. And the reason she left was she was fired by yeah. Cedric. Right. Because she was playing the keyboard or whatever. I'm saying I recited in this like I was there. <laughs> and she had them. He said, you know, what's all these papers in front of you? And she said, oh, it's my notes that I make when I'm recording with you guys. Mm-hmm. And on her paper, she'd written like an arrow pointing to this section that said, play with more feeling. And it's because he had told her as like a passing comment, yeah. you know, play that bit with more feeling. And she had to write it down. Yeah. And he was like, for that reason, you're out. You're out. Yeah. And I loved that. The reason that I wanted to talk about music is because for me, music is is probably the most integral part to my practice, mm. which seems weird being Aside a photographer. Yeah, but um, in, I don't know. I hear that quite a lot. Yeah, I think it's like I I use music at every stage of mm. of the the process of of making work. So research, and then every time I make a project, I'll build a playlist that mm. I feel represents. I tried to do that Yeah. when you told me about I think that. I think it's a really good way. If you've got a clear idea of how, how you want the project to look mm. or how you want it to feel mm. when people look at it, music's the best way of of making that consistent. Yeah. And also to keep you on track. Like when I was talking before about pictures, I didn't necessarily know why I was taking them for Noema. Half of that was because when I was in these locations, if I was feeling like I wasn't quite on the ball with taking taking any good images, I'd be listening to that playlist in I one ear. So. And then, yeah, it was there. And then also I would be seeing things that suddenly with the context of this soundtrack going on in my head. Yeah, made, to- made total sense to the project. Yeah. And I don't know why that was, but it I, I suddenly saw an image there that wasn't there before when I didn't have that soundtrack. Yeah, and that's what you're ultimately doing to your audience, isn't it? Yeah. I think there are... God, we're really getting into it first episode, but I do think there are like different types of photographers, and a lot of them, mentioning no names, are very much like, here's a picture I took, look at all the things that I've seen, you'll yeah. never see these things, here yeah. they are. And then there's a type of photographer that is leaning on art, Mm-hmm. More so, which is storytelling and be a part of my experience. Be a part of this. I, I want to show you this so that you feel something, you know, like yeah. this. And Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's always interesting for me. And maybe this will, will lead on to the drag race topic, actually. Um, Let's hope so. Otherwise, we're going to be here for six hours. <laughs> um, I always, f- I think... On on that on that note, there's there's um there's this uh, curator called David J Getzey, and he said something, or I read something that he said probably a long time ago, but I only read it recently. That really resonated with me in terms of photography of queer communities, which is that so often, well, I guess it's it's actually art in general more so than photography, but photography is probably a really good example of it. Um, Often queer queer artists are focused primarily on representation, yeah, and and representing, and and or and saying, look, these people exist. Mm. Here's some pictures of them mm. looking at the camera mm. or interacting with each other, living their life, and those can be really powerful and really beautiful and and definitely really important, but. It can also be a zoo. Like, yeah. You know, your existence is 
interesting enough. Let's yeah. all look at you. And we don't. We. I think we we have moved past the the, the need for every represent every queer project to be purely about representation. Yeah. Because I think there are bigger ideas, and that's what I tried to do with, or I'm trying to do with my my current project, and what I'm tr- what me and Philippa are trying to do with Compass. Yeah. We don't. I don't feel like representation and taking portraits of other people is is the right way for me to represent my queer experience. Agreed. This is how I see it, and it's yeah. much more abstract, mm. and it's trying to represent something that is maybe not immediately identifiable as queer on a visual level but talks about something that people can relate to mm. in their own way and mm. apply their own experiences to yeah and i the can't tadpoles do that do they oh very much so yeah <laughs> actually they do for me they do yeah. for me no i i completely agree with that and i think that i think one of our first conversations Ever. I could actually tell you where this conversation happened. It was on College Green. That's right. in Bristol, by the way. Where we spoke about... Was that the rabbit? Yeah. It just threw its bowl out of the cage. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> Queer representation. <laughs> where we Fuck spoke it. about... Um, you know, queerness represented as a multifaceted you know, thing. Yeah, I think you opened my, you opened my eyes, you know, to, to those sorts of conversations that perhaps, you know, I'd thought about before, but I didn't feel like I could facilitate. Speaking of multifaceted quiz. Drag race. Drag race. Yeah. So now you introduced my... me to gra- drag race. Gra- gag race. Gag race. Gag race. That's the. Uh, that's the. the after hours that, that version. Is, yeah. Do yeah. you remember sex cetera? Yeah. Sex, I'm saying it wrong. Sex cetera. Sex cetera. Sex cetera. Yeah. Did you ever watch um, Slag Wars as well? <laughs> Back to drag race. Drag race. Yeah. So yeah, you got me onto it. Yeah. Um. After sort of bullying me into watching it. Cons- yeah. And then, I think I binged. The entire thing. I think that's what happens with most people. Mm. Like I, I started watching it um, when I I broke up with um, my ex, and my cousin was like, "Yeah, you should watch it," and I did. And I think because I needed something to latch onto, I became obsessed with it. Mm. And I think it just persisted. But I think there were kind of two reasons why I wanted to talk about it today the first very simple reason is being that i think that like we were saying before i think it's really important to have a well-rounded idea of of media and art and and culture yeah um and for me drag race is the thing that i can go to when i don't want to have to think much and overanalyze and overanalyze yeah Yeah. exactly and so if i'm especially during the ma when we were studying and when i was completely consumed by noema the the most valuable thing that i could do in that period of time was to give myself moments where I could completely switch off Pockets and focus on... Exactly, yeah. yeah. And for me, that was that was drag race. And I think that is something that's really important for all creative people to Absolutely. have because you can't always be switched on and no. and overthinking things. And so for me, yeah, drag race, I could, I could sit there and watch it for 45 minutes and mm. be entertained and not think about anything else. Mm. But on a, I think on a, on a much deeper level... Prior to watching that show, 
I think I had a very um a very difficult relationship with my sexuality and with the kind of community like the queer community in general mm. and I think drag race helped me grow up quite a bit with regards to that that's so interesting and yeah and I think and I think also made me um, see things in a totally different way. And I think so there was I think there was internalized homophobia mm. and there was that rejecting uh, femininity yeah. within men yeah. and the kind of effeminate gay. Yeah, I was definitely one of those people who I think was trying to move away from on a personal level being seen as outwardly gay, I mm. think, because I was harboring the, the kind of um yeah, internalized homophobia that said that it was something to be ashamed of. What Drag Race did was was maybe to some extent kind of like oversaturate my world with with examples of mm. characters who were over the top and effeminate and and literally doing it as their job. Yeah. Um and these were characters that I fell in love with. And I appreciated and I understood their stories and I understood the nuances of of the gay community. Mm. And drag race is a very, the the people who go on drag race are a a small part of the gay community. But they tell the stories of these people who've been through so many different types. It always makes me cry, those bits. I can't. Yeah. If someone held up a picture of me and they're like, and what would you say to Laura? Oh, I'm in tears (laughs) the whole time. I can't. But it's, it's, it's so interesting to hear all these things that people have been through and how they've they've come through it and and some of some of them have struggled and some of them still are struggling when they're on the show and some of them have completely just been like fuck you to the the people who were mm. um causing them well, the reason that they were having these kind of conversations in the first place and i think it completely opened my eyes to the the fact that queerness isn't something to harbor um, yeah. resentment towards if you're within mm. the community or i mean in general but especially if you are someone who is gay what is the point of mm. of holding know, on to that holding on to that and i was i was out i was out to my parents i was out to my friends mm. but there was i think there was that thing where i was still trying to i was like yeah i'm i'm gay but i'm not I'm, not, I'm normal. Like, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. And Ugh. Drag Race was the thing that um, made me really think differently about that. In the same way that these people sort of gave you this, you know, this, let's say, confidence to not internalize. Yeah. You know, self. I don't want to say hatred. That's a strong word. But, you know, yeah, maybe negativity, like, yeah. or, you know, um, is that I feel that, you know, that I've been villainized or demonized quite often for personality traits like talking too much being too exuberant being you know kooky or wacky god forbid bubbly bubbly is my worst (laughs) that's just funny and fat isn't it you know and and all these things and being brash and being crude and you know and 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 lots of things that i feel especially in photography land i'm demonized for Mm -hmm. And people really think that I think that I'm two-dimensional quite often because I like EastEnders and and talking about sex. Yeah. And I think that what I resonate with these queens is that 
you know, they're so celebrated and so admired for so many things that I felt like people found me so jarring for. Mm -hmm. And I, and I love that because like Nicki Minaj, sorry, (laughs) like Nicki Minaj, you know, they make me feel like, like it's absolutely a-okay to give it 100, 100% of the time. And if, you know, people don't like it, then fuck them. Yeah. And, and I think that that is, you know, with the exception of, you know, God bless Luke's soul, he adores me. But that's not something I ever get from straight men. Yeah. And, you know, the pinnacle of adoration for me is how people like, you know, the divas are celebrated. Yeah. You know, because I don't I don't know where that adoration lives other for those people other than in that world. But that that's exactly it, is the 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 gay community see the things that that socially straight men have rejected mm. and they see why it's so great. Yeah. And then they idolise that. I don't think if I hadn't watched Drag Race when you told me to, I think that, because I remember a conscious decision of mine mm-hmm. before I joined the MA was to cut off my acrylic nails, not in some sort of like barbaric <laughs> way, but like have them taken off because I didn't want people to have a preconceived idea of me that I was yeah. stupid and that, you know, in fairness, you know, practicality, I probably wouldn't have done well in the dark room, but I didn't want people to think here comes, you know, bimbo wimbo and it was yeah. big and it was yeah it was worse enough that i had big gold earrings or whatever but i don't know but uh, yeah no i i think i think it's really interesting that within within that world within that bubble of drag race and drag in general and the gay community those people like like joan collins or yeah. like um or like now like Gemma collins <laughs> from joan, <laughs> from joan to Gemma. <laughs> yeah these people are, are like Darren. are completely Idolized, idolized, yeah, yeah by the gay community, and for it's being be- themselves, exactly, yeah, and yeah. for being bolder than they're expected to be, yeah, by society. Like there are, there are no men on this planet, and I include you, I include Luke, I include everyone I know. There are no men on this planet that understand me like Trixie and Katia understand yeah. me. <laughs> like everything they say comes out of their mouth. It's me. Yeah. Like I get it. It's my yeah. soul. And they, they talk about femininity like I've never heard a woman talk about it. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. I became aware of a certain type of drag queen or a certain type of drag. Mm. Or when I started to understand my place within the queer community. Yeah. Based on the stories that they told yeah. about their experiences. Yeah. And then introducing it to other people, talking about it with other people. Um, and just just be kind of slowly becoming more, um, like you said, confident in who uh, of what my experience as a queer mm. person was, and not only that, but also being able to actually speak about it through my work. Yeah, this is something I think that that prior to to having kind of become a fan of that show i don't think i would have ever done a project about my sexuality Mm. and been so kind of Mm. openly talking Mm. about it if it wasn't for if it wasn't for that 
I want to segue into segue is like my word of the day. That's I'm gonna okay. have to do like thesaurus.com cinnamon 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 fantastic <laughs> cinnamons cinnamons cinnamon segues um synonyms for segue. I don't think there is one. I only recently found out how to spell segue. Do you know? Is it is it like segu? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Before we move on to our final part of the show. Oh yeah. Oh, I'd love that final part, part of, the of the show. show. I'd love that. Um the massive climax. What's your drag name? Okay. Um I did I did come up with one a while ago. I I love your drag name. Wait, uh, and I'm incredibly I, jealous. But wait, hold on. I sort of have two. <laughs> okay. Which one do you love? Um, let me remember it now. Wait, hold on. I thought you loved it. No, I do love it. Because I, I have one that I've b- been stood by for a while. And then recently my sister said something, which I... Uh, but I think that's just for when, I, when I'm performing in Bristol, let's say. Okay, no, I don't think it's your Bristol one. She she was a victim of autocorrect. She meant to say Bradley Stoke and she said, <laughs> sadly broke. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. That's no, it's not that one. It's the no, other it's one. No, it's Thick Bleach. Thick Bleach, Come yeah, on, T-H-I-C-C. Yeah, I love that name. Very Juno Birch. Oh, it's... It's got to be. It's fantastic. I love Juno's um, explanation of their drag, which is uh, Alien Housewife in Tesco. (laughs) Uh, I really resonate with that. Yeah, but again, it just completely accumulates everything that that gay people love. Photo. This This is the one question that will tie everybody together okay photo you'd like to live in yeah i think i'm going to regret this answer well look the beauty of it is is that we're multifaceted people i was going to say multifaceted queers we're fault we're faulty fantastic (laughs) we absolutely are you can change your answer but where are you now in space and time okay so i I thought about it a lot because i was thinking do i go with like a photographer that was that was one of the first photographers that I really became obsessed with, mm. which would either be Francesca Woodman or Guy Bourdain. But Francesca Woodman's pictures are terrifying. And I just don't I think... I don't think a... I'd want to live in that world. I've lived in that world. And, yeah. Well, hold on, this is not okay. therapy. I've, I've lived in a cold, dark room in December. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't think I would... I don't think Guy I'd Bourdain. be able to do that. Guy Bourdain would be great, Wouldn't but... They? I don't know if I'd be happy surrounded by a load of just legs. You don't want to be that woman who's like stuck down the back of something. That's exactly the one I was thinking of. Yeah. The red, the red, and, red and yellow one. Yeah. That's a whole category on yeah. Bleep Hub. I did once when I was at uni, me and um me and my friend Hannah, we made a um we remade that picture using a guy in heels and tights. Interesting. And well we did a whole whole series about re um redoing fashion photography nice. famous fashion photos but mm. with with men mm. and you know the one that um the one of the woman with the two elephants yeah who's that by um it's like hugely famous and i can't remember what his name is now. i'm thinking of i'm thinking of a a repro of that with kate blanchett on the cover of harper's bazaar yeah so. which was annie leibovitz yeah which segues into my choice um oh but um we made a we remade a version of that with with two um huge inflatable penises love that instead of elephants so, love that. did you yeah. return them the day after no oh. one each oh yeah yeah i don't know i, I have a really weird relationship with annie Leibovitz. But, i know um as i'm sure she'll the tell book you signing. yeah <laughs> there's a 
sure she'll tell you. Um, but there's an image that she has of um, of Susan Sontag. And I've, oh, I've always really, really, and I still stand by, I really love her images of Susan Sontag. Um, I confuse visually Susan Sontag with yeah. Janis Joplin. And I think it's purely mm. on alliteration. Yeah. They've got something going on with the hair, I think. They, there's something, Although, yeah. isn't there? But yes, there's this there's this picture of Susan Sontag on the sofa. For me, it's a quintessential image of a person taking a picture of someone that they love. And I remember going to um, an Annie Leibovitz exhibition, maybe at the National Portrait Gallery or something. It was probably about 15 years ago. Name drop. With my mum. Name drop. Name drop. Um, <laughs> and it was kind of half pictures that she'd taken, like fashion photos and editorials and stuff, and that was fine. And then half of it was um, all of her images of Susan Sontag. And there was this one wall, which was just basically like she'd kind of just pinned up thousands of pictures. And obviously in in there were images that she'd taken of of Susan as she was, um, uh, when she had cancer. Mm. And then there was an image that she had of of her body, basically after she died. Christ. and then it ended, the very last image. And I remember being completely blown away by all of those images. Mm. Maybe because of the oversaturation. Maybe because of um, I felt like I could really understand. Not understand because I'd not been through, through it myself. But, but really connect to the feeling of like loving someone that much. That you just want to capture them in every situation. Mm. And especially when someone's dying. And you mm. know that they're dying. Mm. And just wanting to remember everything of their life mm. before it ended. Um, and then as we were walking out, there was an image. The last image on the on the wall was um, a portrait of her mum, mm. of uh, Annie Leibovitz's mum. And obviously being there with my mum and having kind of seen all of those images of Susan Sontag. And at this time, I don't think I, I don't think I was out to my parents but obviously with Annie and Susan being in like a queer relationship. And... Annie and Susan. Yeah. <laughs> Annie and Susan. Annie and Susan, as if I know them. Um, them being in a queer relationship and that being something that like, I knew there was a an unspoken thing with my parents there, but I don't know if they knew it. I mm. think they probably did, but um, we'd never spoken about it. All of that kind of accumulated into just this like really intense reaction to mm. that exhibition. Mm. Um, and to those images, and I think I've always lingered um, on the images that that she took of Susan Sontag. I, I do think that they're really beautiful. Mm. Every A level or foundation course student, when they first get into photography, I think there are like a few photographers that mm. people always nine times out of ten will go to because they're the yeah. they're the ones that come up when you Google. Yeah photography mine was from a level mine was stephen gill yeah and tom hunter so i think those are pretty yeah and i would like them yeah. both to come on this podcast if you hear it now yeah please. but they because i wouldn't put either of those in the same category no 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 as, exactly yeah. that's why i had such a good photography yeah. education yeah you know like i was getting i didn't i didn't know Annie Leibovitz through education or yeah. gregory crudson with Annie. I can't believe we're going to end this podcast on Annie Leibovitz. I know. I it's never thought this was one of the only photographers gonna... I've actually talked about. It's the only photographer I know. Yeah. <laughs> but she, um, 
yeah i think i i think i can i i, I there was a time when i really liked her fashion stuff and i mm. was really interested in like the editorials that she was doing it's um, interesting because one of the things that i want to bring back with this podcast mm-hmm. is having no shame in yeah. loving things yeah and i think that a lot of photographers are really impartial and it's become cool to be impartial yeah and i think it's also and I hate that. it's also cool to be negative about things yeah fuck that yeah like i love people yeah. and i think that's half the reason that people think that i'm like exuberant or kooky yeah. it's just i feel i think showing showing passion in a positive way is seen as um is seen as uh almost like childish yeah, yeah or it's yeah. seen as unintelligent because it's absolutely it's it's suggesting it, it can i think it can to some people be seen as you're not looking deep enough yeah as if looking deeper into something mm. will make you not like it yeah but it's possible to engage with something look at it deeply and still appreciate it and like it absolutely and i even like it more i've i've always believed that it's it's harder to argue for something that you love than it is to argue against something mm. it is 100 because like. it's easy to just like brush something off as yeah. oh well it's it's crap and not give a reason for it or make something up mm. than it is to defend the things that you love i mean that's a bombshell to end on <laughs> Amazing. There we go. There we are. There we have it. Thank you so much. And now for chocolate. You, you're chocolate. putting something in your mouth. Yeah. Chocolate. Chocolate. Should yeah. be said. <laughs> chocolate. Um, thank you so much. You will... Stop eating. Sorry. You will be back. Okay. I hope so. What do you mean? Okay. Would you like to come back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I would. It was okay, fun. good. But for now, where can people find you? Um... Uh, well, they can go to my website. I was going to say, don't give home address. Well, no, I would never. No. Um, Kevin would kill me. But yeah, my website, michaelswan.co.uk. Mm-hmm. That's swan with two N's. Double um, And then Double my Instagram is mike underscore rt underscore swan, which doesn't stand for retweet or for rt. <laughs> it's my middle names, but yeah. Uh, and then where else? That's it, I think. I think that might be it. Yeah. TikTok? Not no, yet. Not yet. No. Okay. You can find us on Instagram at aka photoslut or you can email us at aka photoslut at gmail.com. Um well thank you very much. Thank um you. play the outro music. <laughs>